Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Lee Sargent, an artist I've become very, very fond of. This is going to be an extra long episode, so I'm going to jump right into it. I'm going to ask that if you have the ability, please open up a web browser and go to leedrawsstuff.com. You'll get a better idea for his work. Let's jump right to it. On mic today, we have Lee Sargent, the artist from Lee Draws Stuff. How are you this fine day? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm wonderful. Absolutely fantastic. Glad to have you here. Uh, I Your work fell into my lap a couple of months back, and it just stuck with me because of your style. Um, right. You have a, a unique style that is charmingly simplistic but surprisingly deep the more you look into it um, and, <laughs> yes and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to get some samples so we can show the the video audience here um but yeah you, you will draw stuff that i would think of as being reminiscent of a children's book or a greeting card but the scenes you're invoking are, are very profound to people who know what the characters are so i guess i just want to ask how you got started with that yeah okay um so the style itself, so for for years, and it's kind of it's it, it's kind of a long story, but I'll try and condense it as quickly as I can. Uh, it really started with uh, like I I always drew like from a young age, uh, and then when I kind of left high school, I stopped drawing, uh, stopped art completely. Uh, a little bit disillusioned with high school art and and not seeing art as a as an option as far as a career is concerned or anything like that. Because I always did have a, uh, I, I, simplistic is it's it's I say that with kind of full respect to myself, which I mm-hmm. I think you have to you have to give yourself some respect. I was a little uh, worried that I was insulting you, but I'm just trying to find the right no, adjectives. No, no, and childlike is one of the greatest compliments that you can get uh, because if you watch a child draw anything, it's it's a delight to watch, and and I guess that's the. What I try and invoke with anything that I draw is the is that kind of childlike uh, joy around it. They are not uh, the best drawings in the world, and they are certainly not accurate. Uh, I have it pointed out to me on a semi regular basis by people who say things like, "I like for example, I don't draw noses," and I have people pointing out that there's no noses on the face, like I forgot it. <laughs> um, which you know, so so I always like to kind of go, "Oh wow." Uh, Thanks for pointing that out. I, I I couldn't work out what was wrong with the face at first, and now and now you've worked it out. Uh, but no, I, I kind of so I, I I left drawing for for years, and then uh, I kind of realized I think in my mid twenties that there was something missing from my life, and I'd always drawn, and and uh, that's when I kind of rediscovered art, and I started kind of going on a journey of of drawing, and I, I kicked off with trying to draw manga style because that's what i was really into at the time um very complex manga too i might add not just uh simplistic manga i I went down the deep end and went yeah i I really want to kind of i love this stuff i want to get into this and after a couple of years of kind of trying to wrap my head around that uh i think i started experimenting with uh like I, i i think i went to singapore and i saw some really interesting kind of simplistic artwork there with an Asian influence to it. And I, I fell in love with that. And I went, okay, well, hang on a second. This is kind of what's inside me. It's okay to draw, you know, spaghetti arms or, or not draw, you know, and draw a circle for a head. And, and it's, it's, it's kind of okay because I completely understand 
what this person's drawing and what they're trying to convey, which is what we're obviously trying to do. So I started adapting that style and I did a couple of little things. And I, I think one of the early, early drawings was a uh, Twin Peaks illustration. And I started because I was watching Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. My wife was horrified that I hadn't watched Twin Peaks when it was first on. And so she was educating me. And as we would watch an episode, I would draw a scene from that in this new, st- new, new style that I was getting used to. And I really loved kind of what came out of that. And so then, of course, uh, a couple of Star Trek illustrations started showing up because that was my massive passion. Flash forward a couple of years, oh, yeah, probably a couple of years. I, it was New Year's Eve. I said to my, I'd done a couple of, of 30-day challenges as far as draw every day for 30 days. Uh, they were fantastic. I think I, I had embarked on a 100-day one at one stage, and that was really uh, a lot of fun, and it was, very, it was a very great learning experience. And New Year's Eve, I'm thinking to myself, you know what, it'd be cool. It's the right time. I'd love to do a 365-day challenge that'd be insane mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the idea behind it is you 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 exhaust yourself to a point where you are working purely on instinct and that's kind of where you find yourself um so you can't go oh you know i like to draw this way and and i really love the way that tim sale draws you know his chins or whatever so i try and emulate that but it's not naturally me so it's exhausting and when you start doing that day in day out you suddenly you, you find yourself very quickly and you find what works for you. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I was trying to wake up my mind, well, okay, where am I going to find one of these challenges for 365 ideas? Like, and then have to think those ideas up every day. And I went, you know what? Just draw Star Trek. You know it inside and out. You love it. You live it. Blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, I'll draw a Star Trek image every day for the 365 days. And that was the first Star Trek 365 I did. And it was an extraordinary journey. Uh, it started off with, um, I think I always start them off with uh, the scene from Star Trek V when Kirk, Kirk meets God and is unimpressed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so, so I've actually been fortunate enough to be able to compare from year to year how my style is adapted and stuff. And that very first drawing versus the drawing at the end of the year, completely different beasts and a wonderful journey that you get to see throughout the 365 days. And I tried it again um, a, a year later with Star Wars and I couldn't quite get behind that because I had this funny notion in my head that I was uh, uh, that Star Wars has got these all these great characters in the background that have real names and mm-hmm. long bios and are on screen for about three seconds. And I thought mm-hmm. it would be mm-hmm. funny that I could literally do a different character every day and I got, I think, I think I got six months into that and I went, I am not passionate about this. And if I do another draw, drawing of, I don't know, ding dong, ya ya, or something <laughs> like that, you know, who, who, yeah, who, who, who mines spices on Kessel or something like that, I, I just, I'm going to go crazy. I can't, I, I'm just not passionate about them. So I, I stopped doing them. I, I conceded defeat on that one. Somebody's already turned him into an action figure, so your drawing is just, you know, on the side of that. Exactly, exactly right. So I kind of, um, and you know what, whatever, 
ding 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 jar jar or whatever i just said that you completely you can have that lucasfilm or, or disney if you want to add that to the character list because why not um please do but i um so then uh I, I, re- I really missed the daily drawings and I, and I went a year without them and I kind of went, you know what, I'm going to do it again and I'm going to do Star Trek again because it was such a joy. And the second time round, a lot of people noticed it and a lot of people came along for the ride and it was extra- an extraordinary experience because it wasn't, um, it wasn't just me who was doing it. Uh, it was actually, there were people invested in it <laughs> on a day-to-day basis. And it was an absolute community builder and a joy. And I am so fortunate to have experienced that uh, because it was the absolute, the highs, uh, very few lows uh, as far as the drawings were concerned. Uh, I, it, it, was, it was an interesting experience. And that's where we kind of come to today, where I've kind of got developed this style through sheer exhaustion of of. I don't have any pretense of, you know, I'd love to be able to draw the way that, say, Jim Lee does or someone like that, who is very detailed, very accurate, action orientated. But that's not me. And so, yes, I have these kind of very, very simplistic, almost childlike drawings. But then I might do a scene from Alien with a chestburster popping out of someone's chest and and it's kind of fun and innocent and horrific at the same time. And it's this (laughs) wonderful juxtaposition that people kind of go smile then go oh that's gross (laughs) it's just like it's this wonderful kind of yeah as i say juxtaposition so yeah that's that's really what that's my journey i guess as a as an illustrator that is i'm really impressed that you found your niche quite that way and that you you really like you said it's it's cute and it can be horrifying within a tenth of a second (laughs) of each other yes because it's go ahead Oh, some some people's favourite ones are these very serious, kind of dramatic moments that I go, really? Do you, do you really want to see that in this style? Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, uh, the the commander uh, Captain Cisco scene from um, I think is is in the pale moonlight where he mm-hmm. he says that he can live with it at the end after after mm-hmm. tricking the Romulan Empire into a war. And, you know, and he's, he's kind of got his glass and stuff like that. And he's very solemn, very serious. And that is probably the most requested illustration, uh, which I'm kind of, uh, I'm amazed that people want this kind of cheerful, kind of innocent illustration mixed with that very deep and very serious scene. So I'm well, very familiar with that scene now. <laughs> I bet you are. I will say... <laughs> You're you're dealing with a lot of things that are, are hitting people right where that that's a lot of people's favorite episode. If mm. it's not their favorite, it's in their top five or top ten. You're de- you you write a lot of people's top five and top ten. Things you've seen seventeen times, you give them a chance to say, "Here's what you like in a slightly different way." This is a little momentum mm. for you to just have on your shelf or on your desktop, and and that's that, oh, that's I like the joy that. Of I like yeah, I like that. I, I hadn't thought of it that way actually. Oh, yeah. Um, it's yeah no I guess that's that's a hundred percent you you've nailed that one because it is it is a different way of looking at it I guess mm-hmm. uh, like you could get so an illustrator who does exactly you know photo perfect uh, and that's kind of one take on it and then this is a different take on it so certainly and and I think what I found 
during the whole process was what was really interesting was what people brought to scenes that I possibly didn't give a second thought to. Uh, it's not that I don't love the scene or it's not that I, but I don't have a, a personal connection to that scene. Um, I just either liked the way it looked or it, it was day 186 and I needed a, um, I needed a drawing and I just went, okay, what did I just watch? Excellent. I watched um, Measure of a Man interesting scene where uh where reich is holding uh data's arm and you know so draw that but then what i get is i i had someone contact me who who said could i could i buy that drawing because i went into law because of that scene and that you know and so that suddenly invokes that whole memory for them and you're right they're seeing it in a different kind of light and that illustration now sits in a in a legal office, which uh, you know I'm unbelievably proud of, because it was a reminder for someone that that's one of the moments that sparked something in their career, and they've got a a, a very unique way of, of it captured, I guess. Definitely, definitely. And if you're saying you know you pick interesting scenes, I can't think of a more Curious choice than the scene of Kirk meeting God in Star Trek Five. <laughs> yeah, it's it 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 is it is one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite scenes. If if someone if someone was to ask, it it was probably it, it's it, yeah. I mean, it's one of my favorite scenes. So, but it's it structurally too. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. thing to 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 draw because you've got. Uh, obviously, the giant floating head of God, um, Cybok, is there. Um, the trio is there, and you've got Kirk kind of raising his hand to ask a question of God. Uh, it's a beautiful kind of framed mm-hmm. drawing to do. So it is actually um, there is some method in that madness, I guess, of, of picking that particular drawing uh, because you do it is framed so well, and it's a wonderful moment that, and it does spark that whole. It, if you either, even if you hate. Star Trek Five, which I don't understand. I don't no, I've... Um, you know, like it's crazy. Uh, but even if you do, you still recognise that scene as as yeah, that's awesome type of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, you know, people still nod and go, yeah, that's cool, <laughs> because you know it's Kirk facing off against God. And I did a um, I did a series during the and what happens is you tend to start finding ways of keeping it interesting. And one of the things that I did during the last round was uh, to do what I called Alt Trek which was alternate takes on Star Trek. And it was a mishmash of the different... So what sparked it was I was really interested in the idea of uh, what does uh, what does a Borg from original series look like? So had the designers, you know, of the original series had to design a Borg, given their current... What would it look like? And, you know, and taking some inspiration from the initial designs of the Borg and expanding on that on how... The, I mean, the, one of the big uh, kind of influences of that is from um, Conscious of the King, where you have uh, Kirk's friend, childhood friend, has got this, this velour black mask over half of his face, and mm-hmm. that's the... some sort. I'm not even sure what that was supposed to be, apart from some sort of prosthetic or something. Uh, and so kind of taking, drawing off that idea of, well, that's their idea of some sort of prosthetic. That's kind of what the Borg would have all over them and stuff. And I drew that and it was for kind of, it was so 
it was so interesting and fun and and like i have a whole script behind that one scene where you know um mccoy's going my god this man's a mechanism that type of thing and you know which is kind of drawn from stuff that i went into so the next um one i did was uh picard uh facing the gorn at gillard <laughs> you know since they're doing a darmok kind of um you know but this time it's the it's the gorn and probably wasn't as peaceful but doing that kind of shot uh eventually getting to where i was going with this is that the ultimate scene for me and i think a, a massive favorite by a lot of people is voyager um encountering god and okay. janeway saying um when god says you know, and I have again a whole backstory with it. Like Kess was the one who who went off and saw visions of of Shakari and 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 drew the the Voyager to that and and drew them to God. And then God's like, bring the starship closer. And Janeway's the one who puts her hand up and says, uh, "Excuse me, you know what is? I've got a question. What does God need with the starship? Mm-hmm. Because that is totally seeable and doable and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, so it's 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 a great kind of sequence that you kind of. Uh, have a lot of fun with and i think that's uh, that's important with some of these but i mean i've i've done the death of spock a couple of times uh people ask for that a fair bit uh it's an extraordinarily hard scene to draw because of the way it's shot uh, and the way i draw because i draw flat two-dimensional kind of you're looking at it as on a plane kind of thing generally um whereas that shot obviously is all over the shoulder and you know you're looking at the back of kirk you're looking at the back of spock and it's because it's through glass that it's very hard to kind of twist that sideways and and do it flat like i do it so yeah very very cool very cool and the you're hitting me right where my interests lie when you talk about transposing different design elements from one generation to another Um, one of the things i've always been curious about would be to you know, when the story establishes that something took place here, even though it was never shown on screen, I really want to put it in my head. I would always want to go back and see what did Section 31 look like when they were on Constitution-class ships. And uh, mm. stuff like that just fills my imagination, so I really hope you do more of those. Well, I, I love the idea of... Um, uh, see, I was, I was, I'm a, a massive fan of the, the Shatner first novels. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea, the return, and stuff like that. Re- the return is one of my favourite. Almost, I, I refer to it as fanboy fiction um, because it is just this amazing kind of uh, conglomerate of D Space Nine and original Star Trek and the return of Captain Kirk and and Next Generation and the Borg and all this. You know, it's just this complete. And I'll say you would never be able to film it. It was just, it would be, it was too crazy. But one of the concepts in that is that the Borg originated or, or not necessarily originated but Vija the Voyager 6 probe crashed on the Borg homeworld and they were the ones who set Vija back on its kind of task because and I always love the idea of this kind of concept of uh, Voyager 6 landing on this machine planet and almost giving that horrible spark to them of learn all that is learnable assimilate everything mm-hmm. and, and you know and they've given voyager the chance to go back and and do what it's supposed to do but at the same time changing their own civilization towards what the borg would eventually become and so i've done a drawing with you know the crash the crash voyager six on on a borg home planet with proto borg 
kind of from the original uh, sketches that were done where he was kind of a, a guy in a black jumpsuit with mm-hmm. rings around him and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, those type of things are always, you know, so much fun because it's like, you know, if you can make it fit within canon, awesome. If you can't, oh, well, <laughs> it's, it's still fun. Canon, the most important canons in your head, as far as I'm yeah. concerned, and I know people disagree with that, and they're, and they're very, very concerned about official canon. Um, but I always maintain that if if I believe something in my heart uh, is true, then that's just the way it is, and no one can change that, official or unofficial. So, no. and and canon itself changes quite a bit. So that's what. Right. Yeah, you have to be willing to roll with those punches. I've always preferred yeah. the, the theory that. And this may, I don't know how widespread this theory is, but it makes sense to me, is that in the first appearance of the Borg, where Q takes the Enterprise and throws them into the Delta Quadrant, and they they roll onto the ship for the first time, and Picard doesn't even know what he's looking at, that that was actually interfering with history. That started the whole Mm. chain of events where they eventually go back to the 22nd century, and they they call for reinforcements from the Alpha Quadrant. Because Guinan is saying, you weren't supposed to be in this part of the galaxy for many, many, many years. But look mm. at it, you know, because of all that, within three years, Voyager's in the Delta Quadrant. Within a few years, they're making trips. Q yeah. threw us farther into the galaxy and farther into the board than we should have ever been. In another This is place, the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is where it kind of... And again, this is where you... You can't get hugely caught up with timelines and canon, as I mm-hmm. say, um, because the idea of, you know, everything changes after uh, the tri- trials and tribulations. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, when D Space Nine goes back to, to the Trouble with Tribbles, you know, technically everything after that episode has changed mm-hmm. because they were there. Um, so, you know, potentially you could argue that the very next episode of original Star Trek is now in a different timeline because mm-hmm. in the previous episode, you know, Cisco was on board the bridge and stuff like that and it's changed the timeline. Uh, or alternatively, everything is in the timeline after that period and everything which led right up to that episode was in an alternative timeline, uh, which they've now changed and, and temporal affairs are not aware of yet and stuff like that. It's it's very it's fun to to speculate. It's not so much to fun to argue. <laughs> no, and, and and if you you can have a back and forth and you can argue and it it is a lot of fun. But at the end of the day, before you start getting really angry at somebody, you have to remember this stuff is all the result of six people sitting in a room who haven't slept in three days trying to get something out next week, and yeah. they're running out of time. So oh yeah, no no a hundred percent. And, and and look, you know, we're not like I'm not a fan of prequels in general. I'm not really sure who decided at what point that prequels are a great idea, uh, because I, I, to my knowledge, I can't. I, I don't recall anyone ever getting particularly excited about a prequel. Uh, every time, God, when George Lucas announced that they were, were going back to see the the birth of Darth Vader type of thing, I, I still think everyone was pretty much wanted more to see what happened to Luke and, and Leia and everything, which we've seen recently. I, I don't generally think that... I, I think from a general rule of thumb that people don't necessarily want to go back to see prequels because it's t- all the drama's gone. You know what's going to happen. 
and all you can do is back yourself into a corner. Uh, and Enterprise, you know, particularly the last season of Enterprise, did a great job of trying to solidify itself into proper uh, into into a canon timeline uh, and went to great lengths. But why one would want to 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 create that headache for themselves has got me beat um, when you can just keep pushing forward type of thing and doing new stuff. Uh, but, you know, that, that's the thing. I, it's still interesting stuff. Like are people who are concerned about the fact that the, the NX-01 wasn't in Star Trek, the motion picture on the wall. It's like, well, because it's a TV show and it wasn't exactly. created yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, there's your reality, guys. You know, um, even the Klingons, you know, it's like, why are the Klingons different? And we we have a canon explanation now. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it was because, you know, it was it was more money and 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 wanting to do different feels and take a different ta- approach with it it's that's the reality of it it's not it's not a real universe it's 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 a very flexible made up one <laughs> i am still very surprised that people will chuckle at the different klingon makeup over the years and the line from Worf and you know from ds9 mm. saying we don't talk about it it's like yeah they never addressed that well, yes they did but they did it on a show that nobody watched because it had a <laughs> terrible time slot, among other reasons. Yeah, but it, it yeah, was a fantastic yeah. episode if you actually did bother to sit down and watch it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh no, um, I, and I think it's like as I say, I think what Enterprise did to to try and um, solidify itself back into canon and and listen to not so much the fans, but certainly because I think there's always a bit of a danger when you you listen too closely to fans mm-hmm. uh, because. We all, you know, we all have our own head cannons and stuff like that, which we we dearly love to see. And and you know, I, I'm actually I was about to say something along the lines of, you know, it's not possible. But then Endgame, uh, Avengers Endgame came along and said, well, actually, <laughs> we we can cram everybody into screen; it'll be fine. Uh, you know, uh, but you know, it was unheard of at some point where you could have said, you know, let's do an episode where we cross over original Next Generation, D Space Nine, all at the same time, and you know, you would never you never be able to do that. But now, now it's not off the it's it's certainly not off the table. It's it's a reality uh, that you could do. Uh, I, I yeah, look, I I again, it's it, it's it's not something worthwhile getting too upset about and people get very upset about it and i understand that it's very close to very to people's hearts very close to my heart that's not something that i grew up with star trek uh you know lifelong trekkie uh when things change i kind of i'm a big fan of of the original series and its design um qualities uh so when people kind of say oh it was a cheap looking 60s show that does ruffle my feathers i don't particularly appreciate that um, but at the same time, it's like, well, okay, we've got a new looking enterprise, um, which is close to what the original is like. And whilst I would prefer the original over that, it, at the same time, it doesn't keep me up at night. Um, and it's certainly not something that I want to scream at someone online for, for three hours. And I've done, I've gotten into arguments with people and realized about three quarters of the way through the argument that this is extraordinarily stupid from my point of view um not even from their point of view of this is the mountain they want to die on it's like yeah sure but from my point of view it's like why am i one antagonizing this person (laughs) and two antagonizing myself and three it's not something i have control over if you know the makers of star trek want to take a a very sharp left turn tomorrow with whatever they want to do 
it's their prerogative mm-hmm. and you don't have to watch it and you don't have to but you also don't have to try and spoil it for everyone else True. if someone else is enjoying it let them enjoy it it's mm-hmm. it's no skin off your nose it doesn't take it away from you if you if you are a Roger Moore James Bond fan and that is the Roger Moore is the only James Bond that'll ever exist for you then it's fine. Just let people enjoy Pierce Brosnan or, or Daniel Craig and you don't have to enjoy either any of either of those. You just gotta keep going back and watching your Roger Moores and and you know, write your own fan fiction Roger Moore James Bond episodes or whatever. But it's really to try and take it away from someone else's enjoyment or something is just mean and and very small and um and and not your responsibility, uh, which is the thing. So, I, yeah, I was getting ranty there. That's that's no good. <laughs> no, no. And actually, this is this is the kind of stuff we like to bring up a lot. Is that you know, fandom is one of the things that has it takes you out of life for a little bit. It gives you a chance to mm. just play with something in your head. That is important. I mean, I don't. I can't oh, speak yeah, for everybody. Yeah. I got problems. I'm sure you do. I'm sure your friends and neighbors do. This is something that gives you a chance to just sit back and enjoy a little bit. Don't take that from somebody. If, if you can't do anything no, else, just no. let them have it. Yeah, yeah. No, look, if you can't, like, if, if Discovery's not your thing, and, I, and you know, I'm on record a couple of times, not a massive fan of Discovery as far as, I like some of the characters in it, um, but as, as a general rule, I've not enjoyed kind of what they've done with it. Um, that's not to say, as I say, I enjoyed some of the characters though in it, like Saru. I, I really didn't like him to start with. And then, uh, you know, I think it was about three quarters of the way through season one. I'm like, okay, I'm team Saru now. This is, he's awesome. Um, you know, and I've gone back and forwards on other characters, but at the same time, like, you know, my, I guess being disconnected from it doesn't lessen someone else's connection to it. And again, this comes to, back to what I was saying about, like I had, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily, I'm not a, I'm not a, um, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm trying to work out the best way of saying this. Um, I'm not into slash fiction. Um, I'm not a, a, I'm not a slash fiction kind of guy. And that's mm-hmm. not to, that's not saying that I don't, I, I don't respect slash fiction or I don't like slash fiction. It's just, I'm not. It doesn't interest me, um, so it's 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 neither like I find some of it amusing, but to be honest, it's, it's just not. I, I just kind of whatever's on screen, I just go with that. Uh, so that's not to diminish anyone else's love of like I love the fact that people write their own fan fiction and slash fiction and all that type of stuff, and they see other things in that. And I've drawn you know illustrations of Kirk and Spock interacting exactly as they have on screen, not anything involved with you know a, a kirk spock relationship mm-hmm. and others have kind of seen that illustration and latched onto that and gone oh wow this is this summarized the whole i think it's spurk is that what they call it um I don't it know summarizes the whole yeah <laughs> but it summarizes the whole slash fiction kind of for them and it's like i'm not taking that away from someone i'm not going to go no hang on a second that's not what that was intended for it- you can't have that well, you can it's like s- no, that's do do it. Yeah, you do what you want. You know, you take it once you once I set it free. If you want to read into it and see that this is a you know this is more than just a platonic relationship between two men, it's no, it, like, it doesn't change anything in my worldview as far as it doesn't change anything 
in my life to just let you do that. It's mm. completely your right. Um, you can't tell me that that's this is definitively, and that's the thing where I think people get a little bit confused um, about when they want to tell a creator what their intent was, and mm. a creator goes, "No, that was totally no. not my intent." That um, you know, and that does happen. I've seen mm. that happen, um, particularly with uh, 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 I think it was Frank Oz with the whole uh, Ernie and Bert. Mm-hmm. kind of being gay or not being gay mm-hmm. and him coming out and saying well look they're not um because they were never intended to be it's not that we have any problem with with gay characters it's just that these these were never written that way mm-hmm. by jim henson and myself and everyone's like no no you're wrong it's like well, you can't you can't say that and it, but it, but at the same time you've got to acknowledge that if burton ernie gives a you know a gay kid some kind of normalcy in their life mm-hmm. of seeing and seeing that well again who are you to take that away from someone um it works both ways as far as it i'm does. concerned and, and like i said you have completely within your right as a creator to say this is what i meant because yeah. it is what you meant you know what you meant you have you were in your own yeah. head yeah but once it leaves your hand it goes into somebody else they appreciate it for whatever reason they do and yeah. works will take on a life of their own once they get out into the world there, there are well, things I've that had, we... Go ahead, I was going to say, well, I've had people come back and say, this is this is what this is. And I've gone and looked at it and gone, that's not what I intended, but my Lord, that's much better than I had mm-hmm. in mind. So I will take that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly with my drawings, because they are, um, again, very simplistic. Uh, you can actually see facial expressions that, may not have been intended in the first place but they are there definitely when you look at it for long enough you go yeah that's a smirk okay i'll wear that that that's you know that's totally that was just a a slight indentation on the paper has slightly moved that 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 flat line which should have been a a stern look and it's 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 a smug smirk or it's a it's a what a self-satisfied smirk i will completely completely own that when that takes a life on its own um because sometimes these things do uh so it it is it's a give and take and i just um like i and i've had experiences where um uh, like one of the i think probably one of the ones which stand out particularly in the last 365 uh, one of the previous ones was interesting for me Actually, I'll, I'll mention that one. Uh, it was because when I used to paint the uh, the, the illustrations, uh, I had a very, very simplistic palette as far as I had these, these colors. This is Caucasian. This is, this is African-American. That's it. Two, black and white, basically. Um, and I had someone point out once who asked the question, and they did it very politely and very, um, very respectfully. Uh, there was a picture of a D-Space 9 illustration showing all the D Space Nine people. And uh Dr. Bashir was essentially the same colour as as O'Brien. And someone said, well, you know, why why would you why did you paint uh, Bashir the you know uh, not as a not as a darker man? Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what, I to be honest, I'd never considered it because I didn't really from my simplistic colour range I was wasn't really giving that gradient um, of kind of complexions, uh, but it was a really great point, and it was a really, as I said, very respectfully done and very very polite, and 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 I just went, you know what, you're right, you're 100 percent right, and every other every Bashir 
picture that comes out from me now is he has a darker skin complexion than than O'Brien, which is you know possibly the whitest character of D Space Nine. So, um, so you know, so so that was great. You know, that was that was me being able to grow from feedback, which wasn't kind of um, wasn't a dig. Although I, you could easily have, you know, as someone someone could easily have taken that one a little harder and and mm-hmm. been, um, oh, you know, what are you accusing me of? And it's like, you know. Um, likewise, it was pointed out that um, I didn't represent women as much as male characters in the 365. And, I mean, it's an interesting kind of situation because it wasn't, wasn't intentional. And at the time that it was raised, obviously, um, this issue of representation for women was definitely a much higher uh, talked about subject, which is awesome. Um, but I hadn't considered it. And when it was originally, when it was originally kind of suggested, and, and again, reasonably innocently, so maybe a little bit cheeky, um, pointing it out, but it was, it was definitely not disrespect. It wasn't, it wasn't rude um, the way it was thrown at me. Um, and I kind of sat there for a, probably a good couple of minutes kind of looking at this, this comment and going, is this what? Hang on a second. I'm not sure where I'm supposed to like what emotion I'm supposed to feel here because this is certainly not my intent. I have no, but also at the same time, I'm I'm going with the source material here where where women traditionally throughout, uh, particularly earlier Star Treks, um, woefully underrepresented. Um, people talk about Next Generation as far as oh, it's great having these strong women characters, but you go back and watch Next Generation. They are, you know, particularly that first season, they're not invited to the boardroom. They're not invited to kind of, you've got junior officers being invited into meetings that they're, that your senior, um, you know, uh, security chief isn't that. Uh, and she should totally be there. So it was interesting. And, and I went away and chatted to my wife about it first because um, I seek her counsel on things that, that I'm too dumb to to wrap my head around and um which is i think is a good counsel anyway mm-hmm. um and and she kind of said well look you know um obviously she knows i'm not sexist or she knows that i i consider um you know women to be completely equal and she said well is there would it would it hurt to represent women more <laughs> and i said no it would not and she goes then, then maybe you, maybe that's a great idea is to get some of those women more exposed and and you know appeal to a greater cross section by saying you know what let's get Major Kira up there a bit more let's you know let's feature some of the you know let's feature Uhura a bit more and I'm like yeah I'm I, you know what there's nothing wrong with that at all so let's do that um, and so yeah that was an interesting experience to kind of go through a whole cycle of, of feelings <laughs> and then kind of come out the other end and say, well, you know, it's my collection. I can do what I want. And it's like, is the thing that you want not representing, <laughs> um, you know, uh, so is that, is that actually what you want to do? It's like, well, no, actually, that's not what I want to do. I, I do want to kind of be more inclusive. And so let's do that. And so, yeah, so, uh, you know, and that, again, helps shape the latter part of that, that whole challenge. Um and made me more conscious to go, well, look, you know, is there a way we can get a, a female character to be more represented or to take center stage here and makes you as a, uh, you a better artist 
at the end of the day. Um, even if you kind of take that feedback on and go, that's, yeah, that's it's completely missed the mark of what I wanted. But if it gives you pause to think and analyze what you do and if you can naturally do it, then great. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm looking at the clock here and I know you probably have stuff to do today, but I really don't want to end this before I have the chance to ask you about no, these awesome Australian conventions I see on Facebook and Twitter all the time that I don't have even a prayer to get to. Are they really as awesome <laughs> as they're looking? Look, they're a lot of fun. Um, yeah, look, they're, they're a lot of fun, I think, uh, because I think I think we probably get a little bit more even more excited because it's not a regular thing to, say, get... Um, like William Shatner out, for instance. It's mm-hmm. when he when he comes out to Australia it's a big deal because it's a twenty four hour flight. It's not a you know, it's not a lot of fun type of thing for the for the actors to come out. And so when they come out to Australia it's it's a it's a it's a big treat for I think for us because we don't get to see them walking around. Um, you know, we we they, I think there's a greater chance to to run into or, or to go and see a, a, a celebrity at a convention in America, for instance, simply because of the size of the place, mm-hmm. um, literally the number of conventions going on. And also it's easier for them. If you're an actor and, in, in, you know, you've, you're working, hopefully. If you want to do a convention, you don't want to have to take the, you know, a good month off mm-hmm. to travel to, to one place type of thing, uh, yeah, uh, just to do one little thing. So when they kind of come out, it's really, really exciting. So And, and I think um, Australians just have a great time with that stuff. Like we, because it is a treat for us, I guess, even more so. So we feel, I think we feel really, really fortunate to get these kind of stars out that, that we wouldn't normally get to see. Um, and obviously we, you know, um, it was exciting when Farscape was being filmed out here mm-hmm. because we have, you know, the Farscape people. We're all, you know, here in, in, in Australia. So so it's like that's our own homegrown sci-fi um, type of thing. So, you know, Rigel lives here type of thing. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, some, Australia, some of the Australian actors in that show are very well known here in Australia but wouldn't be known in America. So um, it's like, oh, wow, that's that, that person's stuff. So... Uh, so yeah, so yeah, I think the conventions are. I think the conventions are healthy here. Uh, I think there, there's two main ones that we have: um, Supernova and Oz Comic Con, uh, and I think they're both. Uh, I think they're both pretty healthy. So I've seen pictures of both of those. So I, it, it's on my list of things that if I could do, I definitely would. Oh, I, I think definitely if you were if you can tie it in, it's it's because I think it's also a very. Um, it's almost a, a almost an unplugged kind of situation too. It's very personal. Mm-hmm. Um, like I know for Oz Comic Con, they have a um, they have a, a a VIP night where you can buy tickets to the VIP night, and that's essentially just a mixer with mm-hmm. all the celebrities. And so to to be able to kind of have a beer with um, Aquaman is pretty awesome and he's pretty keen on having a beer with you which is nice um he's a he's a, he's a really down-to-earth guy um huge <laughs> huge guy but very very down-to-earth and then you know to be able to be you know in that room and and have them a little bit more relaxed um i was lucky enough uh when william shatner came out a couple of years ago to to do the kind of dinner with shatner type of thing experience and he was uh, extraordinarily you know very very good at what he does he's done it for many years he's a he's a seasoned professional at it 
um, when he was kind of sitting at our table. There was there was no talk of of Star Trek. Interestingly enough, it was all uh, talking about the Great Barrier Reef, and mm-hmm. he'd obviously you know made it his business to know a bit about where he was uh, and ask questions and and interact, which I thought was extraordinarily um, classy. And I've just had really, really good experiences with kind of everyone who's come out um, to Australia, which I just think is, um, again, it's a really, that's a really nice thing that it's, you know, they come all this way and then they're just super, super nice and super happy to be here. So I think that's kind of awesome too. That's a beautiful country, so that doesn't hurt at all. Well, this is the thing. You show them a couple of koala bears and uh, and a couple of kangaroos, and you've you got a you've got a happy teal from sea, um, from Stargate. So you know it's a good experience for everyone. I know what you mean about the 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 classier atmosphere. I because the United States is so big, and we have hundreds of conventions here. People are always like, "Where's the biggest, bestest one I can go to? Should I go to San Diego?" And I'm like, "Okay, try to find your state with a kind of an out of the way location, but a big enough city." Yeah. And you're going to be able to have a, a place where you can walk up to a celebrity, talk to them for 10, 15, 20 minutes, get your autograph, and then you might see them at the bar two hours later. It's going yeah. to be, you're going to have more fun than if you went to San Diego Comic Con and stood in line for eight hours to see a panel that you know, went in an uncomfortable seat. I mean, oh. I, a, a wonderful story that I, I don't know the people involved around it. It is, it, again, Jason Momoa, I think that's how you pronounce it, Aquaman. Um, or Ronan, if you're a Stargate person, uh, yeah. he, you know, I, I, there's people who, who who talk about the fact that they you know hit the town with him, um, and didn't even know kind of who he was because it was back in the day when he just he was he was just about to film Game of Thrones and and had just done you know had finished Stargate and stuff like that and he he'd come out to Australia, and and only Stargate people would know who he was and he was just about to blow up. And, and you know, and and seeing kind of stories on on Facebook where people have tagged other their friends, saying, "Hey, this is the guy we were hanging out with <laughs> on that night," not knowing who he was going to be, um, you know. And you know, three four years later, he's coming back to Oz Comic Con, and everyone's like, "Oh wow, yeah, that's Jason." We we hung out, you know, we hung out in Brisbane with him. Um, he was really really chill, and uh, and the same with um, I think uh, I think uh, Dominic Keating. Um, uh, Commander, uh, oh, he wasn't Commander. Uh, Reed from uh, Malcolm Reed from Enterprise. I saw the same thing. People kind of tagging their friends, going, "This is the dude we hung out with that night, and we have no idea what he's from." Um, but yeah, so and he's back out again, um, and he has a great time when he's out here. He, he's you know taking lots of photos and posting to Instagram and stuff like that. And I think that's neat. I think that's really awesome. Um, I just saw because uh, there's a massive Stargate convention coming to uh, coming not to Brisbane, coming to uh, Melbourne, and it's going to have a lot of Stargate Atlantis people there. And Jules Sait was just com- was just commenting that people are warning her that it's chilly, and she's from Canada, so she's kind of giggling at that, saying Australians tell saying that it's going to be chilly, um, and it's, and she's completely right. It's it, it's ludicrous compared to uh, a Canada uh, winter. Uh, so yes, it, but that's yeah. So that's exciting. It's I think it's a treat for the for the actors and actresses who get to come out and really get a bit of um, a bit of uh, royal treatment. Uh, I guess because you do get to be seen as huge out here too. It's not like you're not just a, you're not just you're not just uh, another celebrity, um, which I, I understand. If you, I guess if you live in LA, and you see 
you know one of the actors from from stargate or something or star trek even you probably just oh okay yeah yeah i saw so and so down the road and and so and so at the um shops and whatever whereas for us we don't have that Uh, i do remember a few years back will wheaton was out here and he was (laughs) he was tweeting from the train (laughs) in brisbane and he was very happy that the train had wi-fi (laughs) <laughs> um, and it was interesting because it was the first year that their trains had had Wi-Fi. So it got a, a Will Wheaton geek kind of seal of approval. Um, and I'm sure, yeah, I, I, at the time, I'm sure he got that one tweet out and then the Wi-Fi probably failed. So, um, yeah. But, yeah, that's always a treat. I think it's always exciting to have, um, uh, you know, have, and also we're very proud of our country. Um, we have a very unique country. Uh, it's very accessible for anyone from, um, you know, we're very... Uh, I think we're a very accessible country as far as no matter where you're from, I think you can kind of come to Australia and and not feel like too much of a fish out of water. Um, apart from our animals, our animals will will hunt you down and hurt you. Um, so, you know, obviously there's that. But that's I think that's fun living on the edge. <laughs> as someone once said, the national language is screaming. Yeah, exactly. It's, look, we're we are a game set apart as Hunger Games. Um, that's that's essentially if you describe Australia, we're Hunger Games. We don't even notice it though, which is the weirdest, most bizarre thing I must say, is that um, like whenever a photo goes out on social media, uh, I can spot. I already know what the animal is, so it's not a problem type of thing. But we've seen like um, there's a spider here, who a couple of times. There's been photos of how they catch birds, mm-hmm. like full-grown, proper birds. I'm familiar. Get caught in these. Yeah, yeah. And so, and people flip out in other countries about this this horrific-looking spider who's wrapping birds up, um, and also it'll occasionally do, um, you know, marsupials and stuff like rats and stuff like that. That spider is actually one of the least. Um, threatening spiders that you will find on the planet it has a web that has uh, tensile strength that is extraordinary it's a horror to walk through because it is like walking through string but the spider itself is not interested in you whatsoever it's not like a um a tarantula or something like that it's it just looks kind of awful but mm-hmm. it's not going to hurt you uh if even if you get it on you um it's a completely kind of innocent spider who's just happens to have the ability to make a web that is so extraordinarily strong that it can catch large animals and not really know what even to do with them um and i clear those things out of my front yard on an almost daily basis so it's like because i hate walking through i hate spiders i'm terrified of them okay but, me too. Um, i was gonna say because if we're not on the same oh. page there no, no, you don't. You don't want to walk through this web. You don't want to deal with this spider. But it, it like, I don't want it touching me. Um, we have huntsmen here, which are like a tarantula. If you've seen Arachnophobia, mm-hmm. the spider in that, um, not the main one, but all the little spiders, we have a lot of them. That's a very common spider in Australia. So we don't even. That's not even something we kind of. I don't like them, um, and I will sleep in another room. I'm not ashamed if if one's disappeared, but. Um, yeah, it's a it's a very normal thing for us, and I and I remember this is great show called um like the deadliest animals or something like that, and this guy was from you from England was going around the world looking at all the deadliest animals, and he was picking out really interesting animals because he would um pick out animals like um the pelican, and you go that's not a deadly animal, and it's like yeah, but to its prey it is, mm-hmm. to its prey it's amazing, um so it's like oh that's cool, and then he so he's going around the world. And I still remember the episode where he goes, now, next week on the, on this show, 
we're going to Australia. And I'm like, boom, it's on. And yeah, he shows up and he's just like, it was like five episodes. It's just like these crazy animals. And he's like um, the brown snake, which is, I think it's the actual most venomous snake in the world. Like it will kill you within like an hour or something like that. It's insane. Um, he was showing an Australian walking his dog like next to this grass kind of thing mm. and you know and he goes okay then they pull they go they go went in there and pulled this giant brown snake out of this grass and they said this is the most venomous snake in the world this this bite will kill you um end of story type of thing and just and this dude was just walking his dog in thongs that's australia for you <laughs> like we it's don't even we just live with it i'll tell you that well, it's the thing. Like we have signs in the in a, in a Northern Territory about um, crocodiles like, coming straight up into. It's like I know you guys got alligators, but we are mm-hmm. crocodiles. This is the beefier version, so they're they're a heck of a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I could terrify people all day about Australia, but um, it is a wonderful it is a wonderful place. So, I'd still take so the chance I invite, to see it. Oh no, and, and you and you know what? It's very very. It, all these things very very rare uh, that someone gets like I don't think we've had I think we've had a, a very very small number of, of deaths from snake bites and spider bites I think spider bites are particularly rare um, as far as deaths are concerned because we're, we're we're all over it you get bitten by a redback spider there's a vaccine you know um, there's a yeah there's a serum at the local hospital that's what they do so yeah well <laughs> I want to give you a chance to go out and do another spider check. But before we do that, where can anybody find you if they want to keep tracks on your works? Yeah, uh, leedrawstuff.com. Uh, it's exactly as it sounds, L-double-E. Um, it, it's the easiest place to, as a kickoff point. Uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter. Um, I'm pretty active on a bunch of different places. But yeah, leedrawstuff.com will get you pretty much to anywhere. I'm going to put all that in the show notes, so if somebody wants to reach out to your Twitter, your Facebook, they'll find it pretty easily at my, my website. My website. Yes, that's fantastic. Oh, yeah, and look, and, and thanks very much for, um, for, for, for taking the time and having me talk at you. For um, I've got to stop doing this when I go on to podcasts because I, I tend to, to just talk at very enthusiastically for, for about an hour, and then the poor host gets to breathe and interject every once in a while. So um, my apologies for over-talking. <laughs> Not a problem. This has been a pure pleasure. I love just throwing ideas back and forth here. Um, this is by far the longest episode I've done, and I'm actually very proud of that <laughs> because I want to have longer, more enjoyable conversations. So thank you for that. No, no, my pleasure. Absolute, absolute joy, and um, and we got through all the technical issues, so it was um, so yeah, it, it got there in the end. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, and let's keep in touch. Okay. Will do. Yeah. Okay. Take good care. I would like to thank Lee for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. I strongly advise you to go ahead and check out the rest of his work. You can get his website at www.leedrawstuff.com or you can get the whole list of stuff on my show notes at www.aaronbosig.com. For the resource part of the show today, I want to point out one of my favorite blogs of all time. It's fallen a little bit by the wayside as the years have gone by, but it's still an absolutely fantastic read check out actsofgord.com. Gord is in short for Gordon, G-O-R-D. This website was run by a owner of 
a independent video game store in Canada and you're going to love his attitude toward customers, toward technology, and, and my personal favorite, his attitude toward stupid people. If you just like stories of treating stupid people like they're stupid and video game minutiae in general, this is the place to go. And to wrap up for the community part of the show, I'm going to toss out a little bit of a, a change of pace. Usually I try to stick strictly with the audio portion of the show on the podcast because you're the audio audience so I know that's what you're listening to but don't forget that this is a video podcast too and if you want to listen to it on the audio side that's what I prefer doing so I'm not going to stop you but the video part of the show has a lot of great resources for bringing in more audience members and building our community if you have a YouTube account go ahead and add episodes of the Hungry Trilobite podcast to some of your playlists when you add a video to a playlist on YouTube, YouTube counts that as a more popular video, so they start recommending it to more people. Having my video in your playlist helps a lot. So that's one thing you could do that I would really, really appreciate. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.